Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. everyone. Welcome back to History Spaces. I'm your host, Jerry Anderson, and I'm here with Jeff Messerman. Say hi, Jeff. So happy to be back in the yes. uh, here in the history classroom, in this makeshift history classroom we make on the radio every week. Well, if it's a classroom, maybe I should review just very briefly. I hope you uh, got out there and listened to part one of the Andrew and Rachel Jackson love story. If you didn't, your grade book will ha- your name will have a little uh, red eye next to it for incomplete. <laughs> I'm sending a note home to your parents. I, I have to ask now that I you know there are some questions I've never asked you on this show, and I feel like maybe I'll take uh, 40 seconds to do that. So, were you a harsh grader or were you a, a nice grader or were you a fair grader? Fair, fair <laughs> because I really made it very clear what was expected. Yes, and outlined all the standards. And let the students kind of come to their own conclusions about how they felt they were doing. Because, you know, isn't that kind of a human thing? We all think we're just wonderful and fine. (laughs) But, well, we have to have a reality check. And that's basically (laughs) what a teacher is sometimes. But you have to learn to do it in a very human, kind, kind way. So that's what I would like to say. That's not too bad. Yeah, just don't, that. don't be so wound up on on test scores and yeah. things. You know, I really wanted kids to to like history, yeah, like school, absolutely, and and do well. So, were you the type who would dole out a multiple choice or more of an essay type of guy? Oh, or really what was mix thing? it up because it so up, many okay. different students are uh, strong in different areas. Yeah. So just mix it up, and sometimes you could have a kid in, you know, student in, excuse me. And uh, sit and have a talk with them and ask a few questions. You can get a real good idea about their reflective powers and what they know and how they're feeling. And uh, that's all part of grading someone. But I don't know, how do you grade someone? Because they're a human being. That, that's not a standardized test, <laughs> being a human being. 
I was just going to so, say, it sounds like there's no place in the current education system for a man like Mr. Jerry Anderson. Well, <laughs> do, yeah. you, do you miss it? Uh, yeah, I do, because I, I look back at it and think that, well, if I had done it, if I could do it again, I would do certain things differently and, sure, and sure. whatever else. But, but uh, yeah, it is getting much more technical, standardized, test-oriented, and parents and administrators are just so demanding that teachers have little, if any, creativity left. Yeah, yeah. and and that's really shortchanging the kids. I say, we'll, we'll see how all this shakes out. <laughs> oh my gosh! So <laughs> anyway, remember we uh, left Andrew and Rachel. He had fought a duel with uh, Mr. Dickinson in 1806, and he. I was kind of rooting for Dickinson myself. <laughs> How could you? <laughs> He's my favorite president. I liked his approach, Mr. I'm, Dickinson. I liked yeah. the Dickinson Empire. <laughs> I was fascinated by <laughs> I'm that. I'm lowering your grade. <laughs> there we go. That's how it happens, kids. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, uh, Jackson killed someone in a duel over uh, a few comments that were made about Rachel. Jackson himself almost got killed in the duel. And for those details, go back and listen to part one. It's on Spotify and uh, YouTube and a few other platforms as well. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, wherever you like to listen to your stuff. Yes. Now, um, two. Okay, uh, the duel with Charles Dickinson in 1806 and its aftermath nearly destroyed Jackson's political career in Tennessee. And for a time, Jeff made him a social outcast. Dickinson was quite a popular, popular guy. I proved that a few moments ago. Mm. <laughs> now, even today, he's today drawing I'm in fans. Trying to bring him in. <laughs> you like the bad boys, don't you? I do, I do. I, I must confess. Okay. Now, many view Jackson as just an outright murderer. But his military victories in the War of 1812 against the Creek and Seminole Indians in Alabama and Spanish Florida, and his one-sided massacre of the British Army at the Battle of New Orleans in 1815 made him a national hero. So, And this revived his political career and set him on course for an eventual attempt to capture the greatest prize of all there, Jeff, the presidency of the U.S., now, is it still? I don't know. <laughs> it's still the greatest prize of all. It remains to be seen. <laughs> Stay That's tuned. The greatest prize. <laughs> we're, we're recording this on a very interesting day in history, but uh, we won't get into that now. <laughs> well, I day maybe, two. <laughs> maybe attaining justice and equality and whatever is the highest prize, really. Yeah, I think so. But that's that's a matter of debate here. By 1824, though, Jackson was ready. His campaign ended in frustration and anger for Jackson and his supporters. They were really upset and angry when, in the four-candidate race, Jackson received more popular votes than any other candidate. I won't go into any more details here. But when the uh, election was thrown into the House of Representatives, he failed to gain a majority in the Electoral College. Okay. Thus, the election was to be decided by a vote of the House of Representatives. I think I got that wrong here. Been down yeah. this road recently, haven't we? Uh, yeah, well. As recently as the, uh, the Bush. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. So in the general election, no one received a majority. So it was thrown into the House of Representatives, and all the wheeling and dealing took place between yeah, yeah. those four candidates. And so the House had to vote. 
each state having one vote and the winner of a majority of the states becoming president. One of the candidates, Henry Clay of Kentucky, threw his support behind John Quincy Adams in exchange... Quid pro quo comes to mind. <laughs> Everything old is new again. <laughs> yes. In exchange for his, Clay's, being appointed Secretary of State in the Adams administration. Clay was consciously and deliberately positioning himself for another run for the presidency in 1828. Now, this what came to be known as a corrupt bargain. It's famous <laughs> in U.S. history. Say, I mean, all cronyism his, at its finest. Yeah. <laughs> it was as it was referred to by Jackson supporters, the corrupt bargain. It denied Jackson or their man who had polled more votes than any other candidate. And it denied him a chance to serve the people of his country. Jackson was outwardly gracious Kind of interesting for him, being of such a fiery temper. Not in his character, graciousness. (laughs) But he uh, adopted a gracious manner. There was nothing he could really do, and he accepted it. But inside, he was seething, as you can imagine. (laughs) Presidential candidates, he understood, do not challenge those who have wronged them to duels or engage in extremes of insulting and accusatory language. You know, he couldn't... Uh, challenge, get satisfaction from Adams and Clay here and take a duel. You wanted to give him what they like to call the Dickinson treatment. <laughs> yes, he would have loved to have done that, but he couldn't. He, he thought, you know, there is a future here. I can have another chance. Now, Andrew Jackson had matured into a man to whom the virtues of honor and integrity in public life were of the utmost importance. You know, they say that the office uh, changes people, and I loved, uh, mm-hmm. love hearing the former presidents as they're kind of on their exit interviews, so to speak, uh, saying how... And you, it's really the psychology that is fascinating. I don't think anyone's really deep dove into that in a book form or, or uh, not documentary about um, when these guys leave the office, they seem a little broken, <laughs> definitely humbled, and it's a really interesting thing, and I wonder if that happened to Jackson, too. The same, you know, the fire in his belly was extinguished by public service. <laughs> well, we're going to get to that when, uh-huh. he, when he left. I mean, he a lot of important, well, all history is important, but a lot of important events and whatever took place during his two terms in office. So uh, he was involved in national politics for quite a while. And the whole era is called the Jacksonian era. I mean, sure. there has got to be a reason why that's, I was named after him. It's so. funny. It's one of the few, uh, you know, that's adopting kind of a British thing where they talk about, uh, you know, Victorian era England. I mean, it's very seldom mm-hmm. they don't, you know. Take someone's name and just apply it to the whole to era. A, <laughs> to a Victoria, I mean, that's like 60 years right. of British history called the Victorian era. Now, Jackson returned to Tennessee, Jeff, and immediately began to plan and organize the political apparatus that would, he hoped, propel him into the presidency with an overwhelming and unquestionable victory over his, what he considered, corrupt enemies. Now, when I say political apparatus, Jeff, you know, that's very familiar to us now. People, you know, erect DNC, all these... RNC, all that oh, kind of yeah, stuff. Oh, yeah, all the names and machine. letters and whatever. Oh, it's a but, massive machine. You know... Yeah. If you look at the history of those sorts of things, Jackson and the Democrats during the Jacksonian era really got this underway. 
So uh, so you have him to thank. Yes. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> okay. Okay, we can blame him for that. As well as the trail of tears. I mean, we have... We'll dump a lot of stuff Got a typewritten list in my office yeah, <laughs> things to blame. Now, these corrupt enemies that Jackson was thinking about, they had smeared both himself and his wife, Rachel, with accusations of immorality. Remember the big Oh, me? absolutely, yeah. Murder and adultery. <laughs> he would get his revenge and his vindication... He would. He none, none of which, none of those charges, by the way, are entirely inaccurate. <laughs> I thought I would just throw that out there. Uh, <laughs> Immorality really? one is eye of the beholder, but I mean, you know. <laughs> yeah, I think the objectionable thing is, you know, you want to talk about him, fine. But, you know, you have to drag someone's wife into things. I, I, don't, I don't know. It's, it's a tough one. <laughs> she was there, so she was a target. <laughs> As we always say here on History Spaces, Jeff, when it comes to money, power, and control, all bets are off. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, all morality is out it's the door. The America, truly an American. Uh, yes. Know. We're so good at that, aren't we? We're, we refined it to the purest art, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Church on Sunday, but the other six days of the week, man, anything goes. As you said, all bets are off. Anything goes. Uh, now, the bitterness in Jackson's heart and in the hearts of many of his supporters would provide the motivation and energy necessary to complete the work ahead. In the years to come, he knew that he and Rachel would move into a new home together, the White House. He just knew it in his soul, and he worked hard for it. Now... The national political organization that Jackson and his supporters created was the forerunner of the modern Democratic Party today. And by 1828, the next election year, it was prepared to take on the task of putting Andrew Jackson into the White House. Now, the campaign of 1828 was one of the most dirty and vicious in American history. And if you want to read a good story... Read about that campaign and more and more of the details than I can give you here because of time. This begs the question of yes. every four years, mm -hmm. it just gets dirty. I don't. I, when, when's the last polite <laughs> presidential? I mean, Reagan Mondale wasn't horrible. I guess that's the last one I can think of that was like quasi polite. But that still was you know relatively dirty. But I can't. It's always ugly. It's always dirty. I think we as Americans have to sort of just say. This is what it is. It is ugly. It is well, dirty. Yes, politics is just a dirty thing, it, and it always has been. It always has been. <laughs> but it, it just seems to get ratcheted up, especially with the development of the technology to make ideas even more and more widespread. And it just goes dirty yes. faster. Yes. <laughs> And more effectively. And more effectively. There's yeah. nothing laser. very effective dirtiness. Laser-focused bile. This isn't lazy dirtiness. This no. is highly effective and aggressive dirtiness all Amazing. over. Amazing. Like the, uh, what are those videos they make now where they make someone, they put faces onto oh, other people? yes. I mean. There's a name for that, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah um, the, this dark stuff that's out there. Yeah. And. I mean, come on. I had a friend who worked uh, yeah. with you know the DNC and was involved in a lot of campaigns, and he was an ex hockey player. And he brought, well, just talking to him, you know, he'd sit over a drink or two and he would tell me his approach. And I'm sitting in the back of my mind thinking he's bringing his hockey style 
to politics <laughs> and they loved him. They loved him. They absolutely he was and he would do whatever it takes and he would do the political checking as they do in hockey. He would check people. I mean, mm. he would take them out, you know, he would stick them, you know, whatever it took. And it was just nasty. And yes. he loved it. He loved it. You know, stepping back and looking at this issue just in a larger sense. I'm going to throw this out here, Jeff. Absolutely. I'm you can't really blame the politicians, the political apparatus, the candidate, whatever. It's the people. It's the voters. It's us. <laughs> we, if we, we swallow we this stuff, <laughs> we just drink it up and turn it into entertainment. Instead of reading something that's reputable, right. have a little historical background, find out what really is the case, well then... <sighs> Then maybe we could vote a little more intelligently. That's why, Mr. Anderson, you're the most dangerous man in America. Well, we don't have to have this <laughs> knee-jerk reaction when this aggressive dirtiness gets out there. We yeah. just, we just, we take a bath in it. Yes, <laughs> it's we, a bloodbath. Oh my gosh, it's true. You're right. We just relish it. Oh, isn't this fun? We're well, bringing. No, like, it isn't. It's the NFL. We're bringing NFL yeah. rules to put to important life or death things. Ultimately, at the end of the day, this is health care. This is people's well, yeah. livelihoods. I mean, you know, but well, the people would take a little bit of time to read about health care and to read about money and politics and the background having to do with gun control and. Uh, the economy and capitalism and how it's trying to reform it. So all these deeper things. I read Foreign Affairs magazine, The Economist, and other such things. And it just gives such an intelligent, informed uh, account of things that I can actually read and think for myself. But it doesn't tell me how to <laughs> how to come to a conclusion. But then I would ask, since you do know all the facts, how do you sleep at night? <laughs> That's pretty scary. Like The Economist, I picked that up once and I threw it out the window. I was like, oh, no, no, no. I can't stomach this. This is too terrifying. Yeah. I've developed deep relaxation techniques. <laughs> yeah. I, I choose to read Stephen King. Far less scary. Oh, Real life is a nightmare. I mean, right, right. It absolutely. can be. Well, now, Adams and Clay in this election of 1828 and the Republicans were merciless in their accusations and methods in attempting to deny Jackson the presidency and to allow Adams to have a second term. They even accused Jackson's dead mother. Get this. Here, he <laughs> dragged his dead mother into it. 1820. They accused Jackson's dead mother of fathering a bastard child out of wedlock by a mulatto man and charged that the child of that coupling was none other than Andrew Jackson himself. <laughs> And she did all this after she passed away, which is really <laughs> shocking. <laughs> Gosh. And, and, I mean, he, first to go after his wife, and then to go after his dead mother. I mean, Get the shovel. We're really? going to the crypt. Oh, <laughs> Whatever it takes. Oh, my yeah. gosh. So Ugly. you can see Ugly. just that not all, yeah, gloves taken off. Yeah. Now, I just wanted to note here that the Democrats themselves would make the same charge against Lincoln in the election of 1860. We brought, Fear, up, we brought out the dead? Yeah, that, that he was <laughs> he dragged out the secretly, dead? yeah, part <sighs> had, had, had black blood. And fear of racial mixing haunted the white population of the U.S. It wasn't until the 1960s even, Jeff, that the Supreme Court declared anti-miscegenation laws unconstitutional and forbade imprisonment and fines for a mixed marriage. 
There's a movie out there about that famous Virginia yeah. case. That, uh, is that Loving? Was that what that was yeah, called? That's yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. I remember that came out. I didn't get around to see it, but it's supposed to be very good. Yeah. yeah come down to the we library. Have it here. Yeah, <laughs> it's at the library. Now, you know, the resurgence of white power and racist groups is playing a role in the politics of this election cycle. And the elections coming up in this coming November, so I think we have a lot of fun here on History Spaces coming yeah, this year. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, a lot of this stuff, you know, we read about Jackson and all that, but you know, Lincoln, then that was always an issue, and then coming up this anti-miscegenation thing, just this deep-seated fear of racial mixing, and that's why Lincoln himself, before the Civil War, did not think that even if the slaves were. Uh, emancipated, that they could live peacefully side by side in this country. And he was a promoter of and a believer in the um, the expatriation of black uh, people to Africa, Mexico, Central South America, or the Caribbean. So... But that's another show sometime. Is it interesting how, uh, again, without any basis in fact, these charges are thrown around and then become fact in the minds of voters? I mean, this is what we're dealing with again today. It's just it, it, there is there are char- you can listen to even on the floor of the Senate right now. There are things that are being said that have absolutely no basis in fact. Mm-hmm. And yet, because they are stated by someone who's wearing a tie, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it's fact, or because they're, they're on television, or because they're covered by one of our news services, and it's nothing's changed. Those Nothing fact-checking columns that appear in magazines and newspapers can't keep up with no, all I was gonna the say, lies they're that are being told. <laughs> they're burning the midnight but, oil you over know, there. That's probably been true yeah. uh, all along, but yeah. it just seems to be accelerating because of technology, the Twitter, Facebook, etc., all the yeah. platforms available. They're looking for something that's faster than Twitter now. I'm sure. Yeah. Like, what's what can we <laughs> can we get this even? You know? I mean, if you've made up your mind and you're just going to vote one way, d- damn the facts. Well, yeah. okay, I that's fine. Yeah, sure. I mean, but uh, make sure you're not making a mistake right. because there are a lot of hidden things that you will only find out if you investigate a little bit on your own and do some reading. And Jeff, as members of proud members of Cedarburg Public Library, absolutely, we both promote reading and inquiry. It's free. As a lifelong <laughs> learning experience. It doesn't cost a cent. Because it's part of your civic duty. And it to be and an informed absolutely. citizen, not an uninformed citizen, right. not a prejudiced citizen, but an informed citizen. Do you think maybe, Jerry, that's why libraries and people like us are not very popular with certain people? Well, how many <laughs> book <laughs> how many books are banned here? Book, uh, well, Huck Finn, Catcher yeah, in the Rye, absolutely, or yeah. what? I don't know. Oh, there's uh, the new. There are new uh, candidates every year to the uh, banned book list. Absolutely. Did you know that? I think I think I talked about this on the last show. I don't know if I did or not. Maybe it was a different show. Uh, they're starting to bleed together. Um, there is a library system in Missouri, I believe, who now is uh, uh, attempting to put together a parent group that all materials will have to be approved by, and librarians can be fined or imprisoned if they go against the parent group that's slowly being put together for the Missouri. This is like not just, this is, I believe this is a statewide system that they're going to do. So um, if you think that sounds like censorship, you would be right. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. Pa- parents, I know we have this idea of being free to make decisions for our children, but, you know, over at the high school, I remember there was, for years, this small little group of parents, small group, tried 
to get the lunch program to include a green salad <laughs> right there. <laughs> and it's like they worked and they worked and worked it, as if they were asking some monumental thing, <laughs> but never were successful at all. Couldn't get that in there because other parents didn't want that or the administrators didn't want that. So even if you have a good idea, it doesn't really matter or the health of children is involved. I, I t- <laughs> I'm sure I don't have enough information, so I will retire These from are the field <laughs> on that. But let's get back to Andrew here. Absolutely. Uh, during the campaign, 1828, Jackson was also condemned as an uneducated man, which he was, lacking in the graces and knowledge needed to be a successful statesman and political leader. And he was a man of, they said, uncontrollable anger. Well, true enough in a sense. <laughs> whose past behavior had resulted in personal conflicts which had led to eight duels and a number of murders. Just eight? Which is true. <laughs> I mean, true. I, I read he had a duel with someone named Thomas Hart. Not a duel. It was a virtual shootout. <laughs> Yeehaw! Jackson and two of his friends with Thomas Hart Benton and his brother Jesse, and just the background of it I won't go into, but they all met in this bar in Nashville, ran into each other, and started to pull a sword, <laughs> guns, <laughs> knives, yeah. and proceeded to start shooting and stabbing and poking. Oh, my God. It Aren't was you just... supposed to check that stuff at the door? Uh, I don't know. No, <laughs> no, <that> was... <laughs> Gentlemen carried themselves, and Absolutely. Jackson was looking to cane and beat uh, <laughs> you know, Thomas Hart Benton, and he almost was going to kill him, but uh, Jesse, Thomas Hart Benton's brother, came up, behind uh, Thomas Hardbitten and, and shot Jackson, almost killed him, wow. ripped open his shoulder, and they had to you know, drag everyone away from each other. A lot of wounded, a lot of bleeding and blood or whatever. Jackson was taken to a hotel where the doctors looked after him. He was bleeding so profusely that he uh, soaked two mattresses full of blood. Wow. They had to be replaced, and then he could finally rest on the third. And they wanted to amputate his arm. They said, we can't save this. It's, it's so bad, the shoulder injury. It was just blew out the whole joint. And he said, no, don't do it. So they nursed him the best he could. And through just sheer determination, he, his arm was saved. And Amazing. he lived to fight another day. This was in 1813. Now, remember, Dickinson was 1806. Right, right. 1813 is this... Thomas Hart Benton Jackson uh, Melly. It was a brawl. That's an outright barroom brawl with you know. guns and weapons. <laughs> and then, then you have these uh, election campaigns. You know, Let's if see. my candidate, and I don't care if I'm a Republican or Democrat, if I if there's a candidate who's got those kind of credentials and survived that kind of brawl and everything, they might get my vote. I might just, I might be wowed by that enough to, you know, the the little kid in me might be oh, cool. Yeah, you know? he's, <laughs> well, he's such an interesting person. I mean, you can't help but just want to know more about him. You don't, I don't agree with all the stuff he did. Yeah, but, yeah. Man, just as a personality, this guy through sheer determination. He wanted to get to the presidency and vindicate both himself and Rachel, you know, so he wasn't going to die until he had this wow. happen. There's so. a million charges they could have thrown at him, but I'm sure nobody said he wasn't tough as nails. No. <laughs> I don't think anyone could say that. Well, he, uh, he you know, he, remember, the Dickinson bullet stayed I, in his body sure. next to his heart, inch from his heart, till the day he died. Amazing. The, uh, the bullet... From the Jesse Hart, the uh, Thomas Hart Benton, right? Melly, the brawl. Oh yeah, that stayed in his body until for twenty years. He never would have gotten through TSA. 
Yeah, and it, it was said that by the time he uh, was quite elderly or the second term in office and moving on in years, when he walked, he rattled. Oh, my gosh. Because of all the bullets that were inside of him. That's a president who does all his own stunts. <laughs> yeah, so... Uh, Now, that bullet that uh, Thomas Hart Benton's brother put in Jackson's shoulder that they couldn't take out, uh, he carried that around with him for 19, almost 20 years, and it finally was taken out by a doctor. This was uh, in the 1830s while he was president, and by that time, Thomas Hart Benton had become a political ally of his. And so when ja- Jackson <laughs> kept the bullet from the doctor who took it out, and he sent, sent it to Benton. In a, with a message, <laughs> thought I'd return know, this to yeah, you. Yeah, I thought I'd return this to you and all that. <laughs> you know? He's got a sense of humor because <laughs> they were friends, but in political allies by that time. And then Thomas Hart Benton sent it back to Jackson <laughs> and say, "Well, since you've taken such good care of it for 19 years, almost 20, I'll just allow you to keep that. Just uh, shows to go, yeah. That so, uh, everyone can get along eventually, no matter how much of it. So history there you go. Now. I mean, they were trying to kill each other in this brawl, but 20 years later, then they yeah." Amazing friendly so here we are we're going to break we'll be back on the other side Welcome back. We're talking about the election campaign of 1828 and some of the accusations made against Jackson. Other accusations were that he was a brute. That word meant a whole lot more in the 19th century, I think. It was really a deep insult. And that he was likely to explode, they said, in violence at any time. And that he was a bloodthirsty wild man. And Jackson said, so? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's it. Well, and as we've seen, he had his incidents. Yes, he did. He said, so, and uh, your, your point? Yeah. But the cruelest attacks on Jackson were those directed at the supposedly promiscuous and adulterous past of Rachel Jackson herself. Now it gets really dirty. Andrew could not protect her from these attacks, and he could not directly respond to them. Rachel's health began to suffer as the 1828 campaign proceeded toward its climax. Despite attempts by Jackson and his inner circle to hide the coarse and vulgar accusations being made against her, Rachel was too aware of the political climate around her to remain unaffected by it. I mean, they literally didn't allow newspapers into the house magazines, things. They just really did not want her to see anything. And they kind of, yeah. No MSNBC, no CNN, no Fox Mm. News for her. No. No. So (laughs) now, finally the election came, and Jackson won a stunning victory over Adams in both the popular vote and in the Electoral College. It was just a stunning victory. 
and a lot of uh, revenge and justification for all of his efforts. Finally, and that big machine that uh, started up the big, uh, yeah, you know, was big, a big democratic big part of it. apparatus. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, Absolutely. the opposition had been so badly beaten, but so had Rachel Jackson. She suffered from the knowledge that awaiting her in Washington D.C. was a social establishment that had relished the gossip thrown about during the campaign and would never accept her as anything but a pipe-smoking, illiterate country woman who would be an embarrassment to the nation. One could say that, the, you know, and I, I guess I have to be careful here, but um, our current First Lady, I think, does somewhat unfairly got uh, raked through the coals a little bit, too, because of her lineage, because of her husband's whatever. And I, I will tell you that I have seen nothing in her time in office that would lead me to believe she was uh, a lesser individual. I don't think that she's done any major faux pas. I have a few little missteps, perhaps, but that's that's eye of the beholder. That's a pre- that's how it's presented in the yeah. press, you know? I mean, everyone, we're humans, so, so I do feel that as, again, I'm admittedly not a fan of our current president, but I will say that I don't think uh, his wife has been treated terribly fairly in their tenure in the office. No, I think we all have the uh, option and choice of whether or not we want to be in the public eye. True. And if she chooses to be a little more in the background, I mean, that's wonderful. That's fine. I'd, he takes I, yeah. up enough space for everyone. He does kind so, of fill the room a little bit, doesn't he? <laughs> yes. Now, remember... Uh, the Republicans in Washington portrayed Rachel as a pipe-smoking, illiterate country woman. So, remember, she was uneducated as well, not highly educated Which is not, at a, all. Deal, not a deal-breaker for me, I mean, well, no. but that's fine. At the know? time, what was the average ed- educational level of people at the time anyway? Sure, sure. So, um, now, upon hearing the news of Andrew's election to the presidency, President C, excuse me, she replied, quote, for Mr. Jackson's sake, I am glad. Don't you love that? They called each other Mr. Mrs. Jackson, Mr. Jackson. Yes. I need to call my wife Mrs. Messerman more often. I don't do that enough, I don't think. Hello, Mrs. Anderson <laughs> yes, out there. There we go. Mrs. Messerman, thank, yes. you for, uh, thank you for the ride into work today, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she said, for Mr. Jackson's sake, I am glad. For my own part, I never wished it, unquote. Now, on a trip into Nashville with friends to be fitted for her inaugural gown... Rachel overheard some gossip about her and came across a campaign pamphlet that revealed to her the full extent of the vile attacks that had been made upon her during the campaign. Now, she broke down into uncontrollable sobbing and became nearly hysterical. A few days later, on December 17, 1828, she suffered a stroke. Oh, wow the result of deteriorating health and emotional stress that had accumulated during her husband's two presidential campaigns. Pretty young, too, for that sort of thing, yeah. Yeah. She was placed in bed where she seemed to be on her way to recovery, got some rest, and things looked good. But she became restless and uneasy during the evening of December twenty second, 1828. And her servant, the Jacksons were slave owners, they were from Kentucky, Tennessee, excuse me, not Kentucky, Tennessee. And uh, her servant, Hannah, helped her to her chair near the fireplace in her bedroom where she smoked her pipe silently. Then in a very faint and faraway voice, she muttered, 
I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than to live in that palace in Washington. Unquote. Shortly thereafter, she cried out, I'm fainting, and she fell unconscious into Hannah's arms. Moments later, she was dead. Mm. Jackson was devastated. It's a tragic figure, Rachel. Yes. He stood by the table where her body was laid out, holding her hand and stroking her head, tears streaming down his face. Refusing to believe that she had really passed away, he insisted that four blankets be placed under her body so that if she revived, she would not be uncomfortable. They were so devoted to each other. He remained at her side all that night and all the next day, weeping and mourning, his bowed head held in his hands, trying to understand why this had happened to him. She was buried on... This is a sad story. She was buried on Christmas Eve, 1828, at 1 o'clock in the afternoon, in a spot in the Hermitage Gardens, which she and Andrew had chosen as their finally, final resting place. I've been there, and it's a very moving experience to see them buried next to each other. Knowing all of this, uh, Rachel's body was clothed in the inaugural gown she would have worn had she lived to accompany her husband to Washington. Onlookers and friends of the general said he appeared to have aged 20 years almost overnight. A light drizzle and deep chill accompanied the pallbearers as they carried Rachel's coffin to the gravesite underneath a low and steel-gray sky. During the graveside service and funeral oration, Jackson was unsteady and would have a number of times fallen had not friends been there to hold him erect. In the uneasy silence that followed the end of the service, Jackson stood silently trying to control himself, but the grief and tears would not stop. Quote, I know it's unmanly, he said in a soft voice, but these tears are due to her virtues. She has shed many for me. And then his voice rising, and with words that revealed the depth of his loss, he said, quote, In the presence of this dear saint, I can and do forgive my enemies, but those vile wretches who have slandered her must look to God for mercy. Unquote. A few days later, just before he left for Washington, D.C., to assume the presidency, he visited Rachel's grave with a few of Rachel's nieces and nephews and shed more tears for his beloved wife, who had been with him through all the struggles, successes, and disappointments of his life and career, but who had not lived to share the crowning political achievement of his life. He cried out at the graveside, quote, She was murdered, murdered by slanders that pierced my heart. May God Almighty forgive her murderers as I know she forgave them. I never can, unquote. A few days later, he was gone, left for Washington. But he was frequently heard to say that he looked forward to the time when his work would be done and he could come home and spend the rest of his days near his beloved Rachel. Now, Andrew Jackson never remarried and never, as far as anyone knows, ever looked at another woman. Now, I mean, he's quite an eligible guy. I mean, you know, he was maybe 60, whatever. And, but uh, 
For the rest of his life, he wore around his neck a miniature portrait of her. And while he lived in the White House, he took it off every evening and placed it on the table next to his bed so that it would be the first thing he saw when he would awaken in the morning. He remained utterly devoted to her memory. During his presidency, he held a large party at his home, the Hermitage in Nashville. Now, we're not in Washington here. We're in Nashville. He's back there, and he has, has a party. Now, congressmen, ambassadors, and many important political figures were in attendance, Jeff. And it was a very grand affair with one of Rachel's nieces serving as hostess for the event. By the way, Jeff, when's the next grand party at your house? <laughs> and I'll expect my invitation. <laughs> uh, it's going to be sort of like the uh, Charlie Brown Thanksgiving. We'll have popcorn and jelly beans. <laughs> it's not going to be a big blowout? Or no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. My, my dogs would not uh, like that at all. <laughs> oh, gee. Well, maybe we can have a big blowout here at the library. You know? There we go. There, there we go. Yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> but anyway, I, I'm, I digress. You know, here. the uh, Hermitage is uh, st- uh, currently still a bit of a uh, tourist site. Uh, oh, you can, yeah. You can visit Mm-hmm. Uh, Davidson County, it's a uh, Tennessee. Uh, yeah, um, wow, it's it's very impressive. <laughs> Looking at some pictures here, it is. I mean, really, I recommend. It's one of the underestimated, I think, national presidential sites. So. I'm in looking there. at the website here, and they've done a very, very good job of yeah. uh, making it. Uh, it apparently is uh, Tennessee's number one um, tourist site. Really? Yeah. You would think that, uh, like, Grand Ole Opry or something, but... It's very impressive. Yeah. And they've done a wonderful job uh, renovating it and restoring it. Now, check me if I'm wrong, but it, it is it was a plantation. Yes, it was. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that, does, that would give me pause a little bit in visiting with that kind of tourist eye and, you know, buying things well, in the, in the gift shop. Well, that begs the question. <laughs> you know, there's that debate out there. Do you ignore history because it's offensive to current sensibilities or is it to be studied and brought up and talked about because it is part of who we are in our past and explains a lot of why we have the difficulties today that we have right right race for example has not gone away we think we're so liberal and there are no racial problems no there are plenty of problems absolutely we've uh, we've just begun that journey yes so anyway now remember we're at this uh, party at the Hermitage. Jackson is president. Rachel is buried out on the grounds. Now, Jackson moved about from group to group at the party as the evening progressed, Jeff. But at one point, he simply disappeared from the party. Now, no one could find him. Servants and friends searched the house without result. Lanterns were lit, and the areas around the house were searched. Still, the president was not in evidence. Where did he go, Jeff? Now, finally, a friend wandered back into the Hermitage Gardens, and there, lying prostrate on the ground on top of Rachel's grave, lay Andrew Jackson, shedding tears as bitter as those on the day she had died. The important splendor and power of the office of president could never make up for the sorrow that he lived with in his heart. Respectfully giving Jackson a moment to compose himself, the friend leaned down and said, quote, Mr. President, you must return to our guests. They are wondering where you have gone, unquote. And taking Jackson by the arm, he helped him to his feet and led him back to a place where his heart could not follow. 
His heart left right on top of that grave. By the way, if you'd like to uh, visit uh, that the area where that heart was, it's uh, twenty-two dollars for adult and seventeen dollars for kids. So just <laughs> well know. worth it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you can go right to the garden. Actually, you have a self-guided audio tour of the gardens, mm-hmm. grounds, and other historic buildings. Yeah. Although the best presidential place to visit is Mount Vernon. I have to say. I've never done that. Washington isn't the most interesting of the president, but boy, they have done such an excellent job of that. Jefferson's Monticello, not too far away, is uh, also excellent. And I'd say the Hermitage, yeah, that's that's right up there on top. Very nice. Yes. Now, Jackson served two terms as president of the U.S., leaving a lasting impression upon both the presidency and the nation. Uh... And you know, Jeff, he was the first president of the U.S. to actually, truly be born, quote, a common man, unquote. You know, because the others had all been highly educated, the first six presidents, highly educated and uh, very sophisticated upper class. But he was a poor guy who just uh, through his own <laughs> determination. Yeah, right, right. He uh, willed yeah. himself uh, to the office. Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, just to kind of wrap this up, too, uh, Jackson lived on retiring from the presidency in 1837 when his, with his hand-picked successor, Martin Van Buren, succeeding him. He retired to the Hermitage where he lived out his years. Now, remember, that's what he said. I couldn't wait until uh, the job is done. I can come back and just be near Rachel and then join her finally. And, Jeff, so to speak, death came for Jackson on June 8, 1845. One of the last things he beheld before he died was the picture of Rachel that hung on the wall in front of his bed. Two days later, he finally joined his beloved Rachel, being placed in the ground at her side in the spot they had chosen together so many years before. Jackson had thought often of heaven and being reunited with her. He had been heard to say during his last years that, quote, heaven will be no heaven for me if she is not there. That's a country song. It sure is. <laughs> uh, what a, w- can you doubt that this guy, his heart just longed for her. He loved her. <laughs> and so, but I want to end up uh, with an amusing afterthought, though. Of course. I know this is, I, I hope you've enjoyed this story of Rachel and Andrew. It really deserves much more than these two episodes I uh, have given it. But uh, come on down and read a biography of her. There have book, been books written about their relationship. It, it's a fascinating story. But an amusing afterthought to this whole thing. And it concerns a particular circumstance of Jackson's funeral in 1845. For many, many years... Jackson had kept a pet parrot who, it seems, now this was a gift when he was uh, uh, given to him by, I believe, Rachel maybe, to remind uh, him of her or whatever. But he, when he went out on his military campaigns, uh, the parrot was always with him. Oh, and really? a parrot, yeah, <laughs> he carried around with him. Yeah, General, his parrot does <laughs> actually. Yeah, so this pet parrot, and it, it, I had had it for 20, 25, even they, longer. They many, live a long time. Oh, a long they time, they forever. do. Uh, and this pet parrot, it seems, learned to repeat 
the more colorful and profane words that had been a well quite regular part of Jackson's vocabulary. My kind of my kind of parrot. <laughs> yeah, he didn't let education get in the way <laughs> no, no. <laughs> of his language. So remember his comment about uh, when people said he couldn't spell correctly. He was so uneducated he couldn't spell a word correctly. Oh right, right, right. And he yes. said, uh, "Well, any man who can't think of more than one way to spell a word is a damn fool." So he just shut everyone up with it. Now, since this parrot had been a constant companion to the ex-president for so long a time, it was brought outside to be near Jackson's grave during the funeral service. Hmm. Because really, it, it was his one of his longest companions. So <laughs> someone stopped the service. They went out inside into the library, got the parrot, brought him out on his perch, put him right there so he could be there for the service. Sure. Now, as the graveside service began, the bird proceeded at first slowly and then more quickly and loudly to utter a string of coarse, foul, and <laughs> profane words. Those present recognized Jackson's verbal spirit in the utterings of the bird, but they were not fully appreciated at this solemn moment, obviously. It was, but they heard, yeah, yeah, that's Jackson's word, all right, just said that way, and... So, now, the bird continued its off-color discourse until someone finally took the initiative and quickly dispatched the president's pet back into the confines of the hermitage. And the rest of the funeral proceeded without incident. I think the bird got the last word. You sure did. <laughs> I just think history is so interesting when you add these little detailed stories Absolutely. about things. And uh, Anyway, Jeff. Yes. Uh, the two-parter about the what they called the people's president. I guess that was his. Uh, that's they call him out there at the Hermitage, anyway. Well, and uh, next week we're going to try something a little different here at History Spaces. We're going to do something I call my bits routine. We're going to do a lot of little things and put it all together, and hopefully you'll find it out there, my audience. All Very right. interesting, Jeff. Well, we'll see with our with our incredible uh, gift of. Digression. We'll see how many of those bits we get through, Jerry. <laughs> Digression is good. <laughs> Stay tuned, everybody. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Thank see you, you next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 